Hi, welcome to the podcast. In this session, we're going to cover cytomegalovirus infection in pregnancy. CMV, or cytomegalovirus, is a ubiquitous double-stranded DNA herpes virus that's transmitted by sexual contact or direct contact with infected blood, urine, or saliva. Now, after an incubation period of one to two months with a median of about 40 days, CMV infection induces immunoglobulin M antibody production followed by an immunoglobulin G antibody response. Now, viremia can be detected for about two to three weeks after primary infection. That's infection in a previously seronegative individual. Although adults with primary CMV infection are typically asymptomatic, individuals may experience a mononucleosis-like syndrome. This can include fever or chills, myalgia, malaise, leukocytosis, lymphocytosis, and even abnormal liver function. Remember that on physical exam, lymphadenopathy may be present. After the primary infection, CMV remains latent in host cells and recurrent or secondary infection can occur. Secondary infection, which is intermittent viral excretion in the presence of host immunity, can occur after reactivation of the latent endogenous CMV strain or by reinfection with a different exogenous viral strain. During pregnancy, vertical transmission of CMV may occur as a result of transplacental infection after primary or secondary infection, exposure to contaminated genital tract secretions at time of delivery, or breastfeeding. Most infants with congenital CMV are actually asymptomatic at birth. Clinical findings of symptomatic congenital CMV infection can include jaundice, petechiae, thrombocytopenia, hepatosplenomegaly, growth restriction, myocarditis, and even non-immune hydropes. Remember, as a clinical pearl, that cytomegalovirus is the most common congenital infection. This can occur from 0.2 to 2.2% of all neonates. Now, the annual cost of treating the permanent disabilities and the complications by CMV in the U.S. has been estimated to be more than about $1 to close to $2 billion every year. Transplacental CMV transmission represents the most significant risk of developing clinical sequelae. CMV infection resulting from exposure to infected cervical secretions or breast milk is typically asymptomatic and not associated with severe neonatal sequelae. So that's a clinical pearl. Cytomegalovirus infection resulting from exposure to infected cervical or breast secretions is typically asymptomatic and not associated with severe sequelae. With primary maternal CMV infection, the overall risk of transmission to the fetus is about 30 to 40%. Now, in the next section, we're going to cover the stage of transmission by trimester and severity of disease. (music) 
get your pen and paper ready because here's the information that typically presents on national boards and on oral board examinations. Although transmission of CMV can occur at any stage of pregnancy, the risk of transmission is greatest in the third trimester. Transmission rates for primary infection are 30% in the first trimester, 34 to 38% in the second trimester, and 40 to 72% in the third trimester. However, and here's a clinical pearl, more serious fetal sequelae occur after maternal CMV infection during the first trimester. Now, of those fetuses infected in utero, after a primary infection, 12 to 20% will have signs and symptoms of CMV infection at birth, and up to 25% will develop long-term sequelae. Approximately 30% of severely infected infants do die, and 65 to 80% of survivors have severe neurological morbidity. So that's devastating. The incidence of severe fetal infection is much lower after recurrent maternal infection than after primary infection. For example, vertical transmission after a recurrent bout of CMV is 0.15 to 2%. Infants infected with maternal CMV reactivation generally are asymptomatic at birth. Congenital hearing loss, however, is typically the most severe sequelae of secondary infection, and congenital infection after recurrent infection is unlikely to produce multiple sequelae. So let's say that again. Infants infected after maternal CMV reactivation generally are asymptomatic at birth. Congenital hearing loss is typically the most severe sequelae of secondary infection and congenital infection after recurrent infection is unlikely to produce multiple sequelae. I know, these numbers are scary, especially when you consider that some CMV infections are asymptomatic. When we come back, we're going to talk about which methods are used to diagnose maternal CMV infection and what are the diagnostic criteria. We'll also cover what are the maternal and fetal implications and management during pregnancy. Most adults with CMV infection are asymptomatic, which makes recognition of primary infection difficult. CMV may be detected, however, by viral culture or PCR of infected blood, urine, saliva, cervical secretions, or even breast milk. Although diagnosis of CMV infection in adults usually is established by serologic antibody testing. Here's how the diagnostic testing proceeds. Serum samples collected three to four weeks apart are tested in parallel for anti-CMV IgG, and this is essential for the diagnosis of primary infection, seroconversion from negative to positive, or a significant increase greater than fourfold in antibody titer, which is like 1 to 4 to 1 to 16, is evidence of infection. Remember, we're talking about IgG titers. Now, in addition, use of IgG avidity assays, not activity, but avidity, that's A-V-I-D-I-T-Y, these assays measure the maturity of the IgG antibody. Now, this, combined with IgM titers, allows for improved identification of primary infection. Well, let's clarify what this avidity assay actually looks like. 
for the first two to four months after initial CMV infection, immature or low avidity IgG antibodies are produced, followed by high avidity IgG production. The ability to ascertain the timing of CMV infection varies by assay, but the presence of IgM and low avidity IgG is consistent with primary infection occurring within the past two to four months. All right, that covers maternal testing, but what should we be looking at in terms of fetal health? Well, congenital CMV infection may be suspected prenatally after a documented maternal infection or commonly, because universal screening is not yet recommended, after ultrasound findings are suggestive of infection. These findings include abdominal and liver calcification, hepatosplenomegaly, echogenic bowel or kidneys, ascites, cerebral ventriculomegaly, intracranial calcifications, microcephaly, growth restriction, and even hydrobes fetalis. But nevertheless, and here's a clinical pearl, such findings are much more likely to be associated with other abnormalities like aneuploidy than infection with CMV because the positive predictive value of each of these sonographic markers for CMV infection is actually quite weak. All right, so here's the ACOL recommended protocol after detection of maternal infection or suspected fetal infection based on ultrasound findings. Congenital CMV can be detected in the amniotic fluid of infected fetuses by either culture or PCR, which is much more likely. Fetal blood sampling, which is less sensitive than amniotic fluid testing and carries additional risks for the baby, of course, is not warranted anymore. The sensitivity of CMV amniotic fluid culture ranges from about 70 to 80% compared with a sensitivity of 78 to 98% for PCR. Now, the sensitivity of amniotic fluid testing for prenatal diagnosis of congenital CMV infection is markedly lower if performed before about 21 weeks of gestation. So that's a clinical pearl although a positive culture or PCR is highly predictive of congenital infection, the detection of CMV in amniotic fluid does not predict the severity of potential CMV sequelae. All right, we're getting close to the end of our podcast. When we come back, let's cover proposed management for maternal and fetal CMV infection. Currently, no therapies are available for the treatment of maternal or fetal CMV infection. Antiviral medications like gancyclovir and fiscarnit are approved by the U.S. FDA only for treatment of patients with acquired immunodeficiency syndrome or organ transplants. Now, although gancyclovir has been shown to cross the placenta by simple diffusion and reportedly has been used for treatment of congenital CMV, its use is not recommended outside of research protocols because of risks that have been documented in animal studies. Now, interestingly, passive immunization with CMV-specific hyperimmune globulin is under investigation as a potential means of preventing congenital CMV infection among women with known primary infection. However, currently, the use of CMV-specific hyperimmune globulin is not recommended for widespread use outside of research protocols. 
Now, of course, in cases of known maternal CMV or suspected fetal CMV infection, referral to a maternal fetal medicine specialist or ID physician is warranted. Typically, serial ultrasonographic surveillance that includes assessment of fetal anatomy like cerebral ventricular growth and fetal growth is performed. All right, as we end the podcast, a quick word about potential means for CMV prevention. Now, check this out. In one study, 11% of seronegative child care workers, like nursery workers, demonstrated seroconversion within 10 months of hire. So where did this come from? From the kids themselves. Now, other studies have shown that 53% of families with young children have one or more seronegative family member who seroconvert within a year. Now, in two studies, increasing parity was associated with increasing CMV seroprevalence. This demonstrates a possibility of child-to-mother or child-to-adult transmission. Some have suggested that pregnant women should be instructed on the importance of personal hygiene and safe handling techniques, like the use of latex or non-latex gloves and rigorous hand-washing after exposure to potentially infected articles like diapers or respiratory secretions, as well as avoidance of sharing utensils with or kissing young children if saliva is present. Obviously, these guidelines may be difficult to implement because they are often impractical or burdensome and not realistic. At present, such patient instruction remains unproven as a method to prevent or reduce the transmission of congenital CMV infection. Lastly, hopefully this will change in the future, but currently a vaccine is not yet available. But there is a development of a CMV vaccine for primary prevention that's been the focus of several studies. However, of course, this is not yet ready for widespread distribution. All right, we have covered maternal and fetal CMV infection according to the ACOG Practice Bulletin on the same subject. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.